Hey there, this is the Hope365 podcast. Each episode is curated to inspire hope in your heart every single day of the year. So, expect a good dose of laughter, faith stories, life-transforming conversations and messages. Okay, so it's a wonderful opportunity to share on emotional intelligence today. And I'll quickly share my screen. Uh, please kindly make me a co-host and the handler. Kindly make me a co-host or help me with the ability to share my screen. Okay, thank you. See that now. Emotional intelligence. So let's roll. Let me ask. I'm sure that this is not the first time you're hearing of the term emotional intelligence. I'm also sure that many of you have either done a course in an emotional intelligence or probably a certification in emotional intelligence. Somehow, you know about emotional intelligence, somehow, directly or indirectly. So I'd like to have someone share with me in the group whatever you know, just what is your summary of emotional intelligence, if you may. What is your summary of emotional intelligence? What can you say is emotional intelligence? Let's have someone share with me on that. Anyone? I'll take three different contributions on emotional intelligence. Anyone? What's your take on emotional intelligence? Iswat says, having control over your emotions. Lovely. Having control over your emotions. Who else? having control over your emotions. Who else? Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. I'd like to take three contributions. I already have one. This says, ability to manage how you respond to every issue and everyone without losing it and giving yourself. Wow, this one is big. I like that, okay. Okay, one more. Miriam Valogun says, the art of managing your emotions effectively. The art of managing your emotions effectively. Okay, Omar Bolanle says, the ability to intelligently manage your emotions. <laughs> nice one. To intelligently manage your emotions. I like that. Some days ago, not some days, some years ago, I was doing a training on this subject matter and I asked people, what do you think emotional intelligence is? And somebody said, giving sense to your emotions. Giving sense to your emotions. Was that person's definition of emotional intelligence? I found that very interesting. And I loved that definition. Giving sense to your emotions. Giving sense to your emotions. Okay, let's, let's see some biblical perspectives to emotional intelligence. Many of you have, have an idea what this image is. What, what parable of the Bible does this image remind you of? Anyone? What parable in the Bible does this image remind you of? What parable in the Bible does this image remind you of? Anyone? What parable in the Bible? Does this good Samaritan, thank you, the good Samaritan. So 
Let me use the story of the Good Samaritan as my first scenario in emotional intelligence. There was a research that was done by an American university and the American lecturer, the professor, divided the group into two groups. He divided the group into two groups and he told them that they were going to go from one building to another building, these two groups. He told them, I would like you to move from one building to another building. Now, what the professor did was that he put one of the students on the staircase. He made sure one of the students was on the staircase acting sick. He made sure one student was on the staircase acting sick. He told the first group, I want you to go to the next building and just focus on getting to the next building. You should, you should, I want you to make sure that you're on time to the next building and you finish the particular task, you know, in that next building by so, so, so time. He told the second group, I want you to go to the next building. He didn't give them a deadline. He didn't give them a task line. He didn't tell them finish at so, so, so time and get to the building by so, so, so time. Two different groups. The first group, get to the building by so, 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 latest so, so, so time and make sure you finish the social task by social time. That was the first group. The second group, he just told them, go to the next building. And he was trying to observe a behavior, a pattern. He noticed that the first group, because they were so focused on getting to the building on time and finishing the task on time, they did not notice the guy that was sick at, on the staircase. None of the members of the first group paid attention to the man, the student that was sick on the staircase. They were driven by, they wanted to get to the building and they wanted to get things done. A second group found, there was the research, the survey or the activity found out that a, the second group, more people, when they got to the point where the guy was sick, they ignored the instruction to get to the next building and they were more concerned about how do we get help for this person? What can I do? Oh, are you okay? How can I help you? What can I do for you? And when he got to the next building himself as a lecturer, he told them that this is the behavior of emotional intelligence or the absence of it. One of the problems that is engulfing humanity today is that we are more preoccupied about our goals than we are preoccupied about our hearts. We are more preoccupied about satisfying a requirement, meeting a particular standard, being seen in a particular way, being perceived as a particular brand, being perceived as a particular kind of person, Instead of living humanly, instead of being human, we are, more, we are more preoccupied with trying to ask people to meet a particular standard of living. We have become taskmasters. It is very easy, and because I'm talking to a community of Christians, I will say that it is very easy for Christians to become taskmasters. It is very easy for Christians to become, in quote, Pharisees, demanding of people to live by a some regimented formula, robotic behavior 
rather than living and understanding the humanity in people. And that speaks to your level of emotional intelligence. Let me go to my next slide. There is this scripture in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. Of course, he's referring to the tithes here. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter, the latter without leaving the former undone. And I decided to put several, you know, versions of the, that same verse across board. And this is a scripture that speaks to emotional intelligence. I want everyone in this prayer call to remember that as much as we are keeping to a checklist of how to get to heaven, because that is what most of us in the kingdom, most of us who are vibrant for God, that's, that's the focus. Like, I am preparing myself to go to heaven. Remember my scenario about the next building? We're in one building now called earth. We're aspiring to go to another building called heaven. And because we are preoccupied with that journey, that heavenly race, we have forgotten that while we are on that heavenly race, we are concerned and we must be concerned about the earthly contribution to the heavenly race. Some of you have lost your humanity. Some of you have lost your ability to feel emotions. Some of you have lost your ability to be humane, to think about what people feel and to feel what people think. Some of you have lost the, the, the acumen, the, the sensitivity to think of your feelings and to feel what you're thinking. And it's, it, it's something where you need to constantly check yourself you find that, you know, I was watching a documentary this week and the, the guys on the documentary were talking about the level of, of evil that has engulfed Nigeria today, the level of lack of kindness and empathy that has engulfed Nigeria today is perpetrated by the same people that go to church on Sunday and go to mosques five times in a day and Fridays, the same people. So can we come to the place where we can demonstrate that our Christianity is not just that ambition to make heaven, just that ambition to be right with God, just that ambition to not tell a lie, that ambition to not commit adultery, that ambition to not commit fornication, that ambition to not dress indecently, that ambition to, to if that is all correct. According to this verse, you are more preoccupied about, I don't want to lie. I don't want to have extramarital affairs. I don't want to have uh, premarital sex. I don't want to dress indecently. I don't want to do anything that will grieve God. Very correct. 
According to this scripture, those are others. According to this particular verse, those are others. The former, which is correct, which is valid, which is expected. But you are forgetting the part that I need to show kindness. I need to show humility. I need to cry with those that are crying. I need to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. I need to make compromises for those that need help. I need to stand down my position for the overall good. I need to be sensitive to what people are feeling. I need to mind how I speak. Because some of you are so sarcastic and caustic. Caustic that when you say something, somebody will never sleep. You are so, your tongue is so sharp. But as far as you're concerned, you're telling them the truth. In your mind, you're saying the truth. You don't want to compromise because you don't want to hurt God. But God is saying, well, you're not, you don't want to hurt me, but the way you're speaking to this child of mine is hurting me. But you're saying, no, God, I'm defending you. I'm telling the person the biblical truth. I'm telling the person that they will go to hell if they don't listen to you. I'm telling the person that, no, you can't keep living this ungodly way because he's... So God is looking at you and how you are trying to represent him and he's wondering, no, 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 no. You don't have to do it that way. You don't have to say it that way. You don't have to act it that way. Some of you are keeping malice on behalf of God. Because somebody is not as godly as you think, you are keeping malice towards them on behalf of God. Because somebody is not living a lifestyle that you think is, in quotes, God's standard. Some of you are projecting judgment and projecting pain and projecting inferiority on other people on behalf of God. Because you are saying, you don't live like God wants, so you are not up to a standard. You are an inferior human being because you don't live as God wants to live. Some of you have become registrars of God. Some of you have become provosts of God. That's exactly what this verse is saying. We are preoccupied with rating people's levels of God's standard. We have forgotten that we are also part of the process of God's sanctification. And that is not emotional intelligence, my people. Because emotional intelligence requires that three things must happen. Number one, there is a self-preservation. And self-preservation means that you are constantly assessing yourself, extraining yourself and saying, am I emotionally well? By the design of the human being, God has designed us to feel 3,000 emotions. By the design of all humans, God wired us to feel 3,000 emotions. There are 3,000 emotions that are available for every human being to feel. And because of the vastness of emotions, many people, I'm sure many of you have not felt up to 10 emotions or maybe 100 emotions because you are not giving room to feel it. If I asked you, when last did you feel joy? 
When last did you feel excited? When last did you feel um, ambitious? When last did you feel expecting? When last did you feel empathy? When last did you feel compassion? When last did you feel remorseful? ETC. So when you go on the internet, for instance, you just type list of emotions on your Google search. You will see several links. You see some in pictorial form. You see some in text form. You want to pick that list and ask yourself, how can I create each feeling that is on this list? You need to be able to feel healthy. The lack of emotional well-being creates dysfunctional behaviors. The lack of emotional well-being creates dysfunctional behaviors. Just this week, a five-year-old girl was killed in Kano State. She was, she was raped, she was drugged, and she was killed. When you saw that news on the internet, did you find yourself genuinely feeling pain that a five-year-old girl could have been my kid sister, could have been my best friend's kid sister, could have been my child? Did you permit yourself to feel the pain and say, Lord, I pray into the life of the child, of the parent of this child for healing. I, I, what did you allow yourself to feel? We, we have become numb. We have become numb to feelings. We have become numb to feelings. And when you become numb to feelings, you can't feel. There was a place in scripture, Jesus was ministering in another town. As he was ministering in another town, Somebody came and whispered in his ears and said, your best friend just died. And Jesus, it is said that Jesus said, don't worry, we will go, we will go to him. We will go to him. He's been sick for days. We will, we will go to him. And the Bible tells us that Jesus stayed another four days. For what reasons, we don't know. And the Bible says that when Jesus arrived at that city, I'm talking of Lazarus, Jesus wept. The Bible says that Jesus wept. I think Luke 11, 35 says Jesus wept. Jesus, the Bible says that people were saying, oh, he must have really loved this guy. For this prophet to cry for his friend. Wow, he must have really loved his friend. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus felt the compassion for people like, ah, you guys don't understand this thing. There was so, at that point, the Bible represents that Jesus tapped into his emotions. If Christ that we all look up to, that is our author and finisher of our faith, the standard of everything we do as Christians, if he taps into his emotions and he connects with his emotions, I don't know why you feel that it is out of place to connect with your emotions. Some of you are trying to kill some emotions just because you want to feel like you are godly. So it's very, very, very important for you to tap into your emotions. Mariam, I see your question. I'm coming to that. So the first thing you want to do is self-preservation. The second thing you want to do is people preservation. And I've talked about that. People preservation means that 
You want to understand how people feel so that you can contribute wellness into their lives. You want to understand how people feel. We find one of the big problems that churches are facing today is that there is a disconnect between church leadership and church membership, the laity. There is a disconnect because the laity feels that the church leadership does not feel their pulse. And it's, it's a management issue. It's a, an emotional management issue. We must try our best to understand the people that we lead, to understand the people that we minister to, to understand the people that are under our guidance so that we can appropriately guide them into richer emotional intelligence. A typical example, a member is agitated about an issue. We are trying to solve the issue without understanding their agitation. Oh, a member feels like, I don't have house rent, I need money for house rent, and the church is all over trying to solve the house rent without understanding this problem has emotional, there's an emotional side to it. This person feels um, unappreciated. This person feels incapable. This person has fear. This person has panic. This person has anger towards the situation. So while we're solving the situation, we must also help every church member understand how to become better at how they treat their situations. Because guess what? I've also seen situations where church members demonize church leadership for not paying attention to their emotions. So we must grow capacity to teach about emotions. People must understand why they do what they do because of how they feel about what they do. And by doing so, we're preserving the earth. The earth in this case means the relationship between you and other people. That is the earth, is a symbol. So in some context, it can mean our relationship in the office. In some context, it can mean interspousal relationship, relationship between spouses. In some context, it can mean siblings relationship. In some context, it can mean relationship between me and my neighbors. I find that many Christians think that their neighbors are them. We, we are the born again. Our neighbors, uh, they need help. They are not on the pathway to heaven. And while that may be technically correct, because they may not be born again, I find that because of that, you don't share anything with them. You don't gist with them. You don't befriend them. You don't go close to them. You are not doing anything around them because they are them and we are we. But they are, we are the same people that expect them to come to the knowledge of Christ through us. And we say, let them, if they just see how we are living, they will know that Christ lives through us. When they hear the way we are praying, and when early morning they hear our tongues, then in our prayer, as I'm speaking in tongues, let the Lord minister to my neighbor so that he will receive Christ and start coming to pray like me. But your neighbor is looking at you like, well, you have removed me from your system and cycle because I am not like you, because you think I am not born again, because you think that I'm not good enough, because you think I'm not godly. So that already is not people preserving because you have created a sense of division. People preservation means that the Bible says, I think it was Apostle Paul. He says, when I got to Rome, I behaved like the Romans. It means that 
And it was the same Paul that said, you must be, how, how did he put it? You must be like all men. Um, there's, there's a way the Apostle Paul put it. You have to be like all men to be able to bring them to yourself. So you, we have to understand this is the height of emotional intelligence. You must demonstrate inclusivity. Thank you, Sharon. It must be all things to all men so that by all means or by chance, we can bring them to closer to us or something. There's the way the Bible puts it. So we must operate inclusiveness. We must operate cover, covering. You must operate a sense of belonging with anyone that you encounter. When God allows you to meet someone, it's not an accident. God does not create accidental meeting. When you meet people, you must demonstrate that they are welcome. It is the sense of welcoming them that makes them feel the need. It becomes an urgency for them to want to serve God because you have welcomed them. I beg you, I beg you, if you're a member of this call and this ministry, I beg you, be all things to all men. Welcome people into your cycle, into your sphere, into your system. And in that ministration, they would begin to feel the urgency to receive God. But when we create gates and barriers and boundaries, that makes them feel that they are outside and we, we are inside. We have made it more difficult. We call it, in business terms, we call it barrier to entry. We have created a barrier to entry that makes it very difficult. So let me begin to round up. For you to be emotionally intelligent, two things must happen. You must develop personal competence, which is your relationship with yourself. I started before I said, Many of you don't even know how you feel. You're not even conscious of your feelings. You're not conscious about what is happening to you. Thank you, Sharon. I really do appreciate you helping me with this. God bless you. You're not even in tune with how you feel. If I ask you to keep a diary of your feelings, would you be able to track exactly how you feel? And this is very important. You must be able to tell when I feel at peace. Oh, I feel disturbed. Oh, I feel disgruntled. Oh, I feel aggrieved. Oh, I feel hurt. I feel hungry. I feel angry. I feel disappointed. I feel betrayed. Are you able to specifically mention the feeling you are going through? And not just lump it under, I'm not feeling okay. I'm not feeling all right. There's nothing called all right in feelings. There's nothing called okay. How are you? I'm fine. There's nothing called fine. There's nothing called I'm okay. You need to be able to track your feelings. If you track your feelings, it's easier for you to sense a feeling in someone else because you can track it in yourself. We usually connect in people what we see in ourselves. That's the easiest way to connect with people. So if you don't build your emotional arsenal, your emotional toolbox, 
you won't be able to connect with people. And this is a very important, important skill. Very important skill. I have invested a lot of hours understanding my feelings. I can constantly track my feelings. I'm constantly in check. You know, if you look at the way the medical people, there is this um, box, I don't know what to call it, that shows these um, zigzag lines when they are, I think when they are connecting to the brain or heart of someone, I don't know what that is, that shows something like that. You need to visualize that you are that there is that dashboard that is showing how you feel per time and you're able to say at 6 a.m this morning ecg thank you busayo don't mind me i know sabi book like that you know at 6 a.m i felt calm but at 605 i noticed i felt disturbed why did i feel disturbed because at 6 a.m. I felt calm. So between 6 a.m. and 6.05, something must have happened that made me feel disturbed at 6.05. Was it a memory or was it an immediate activity? If you track those emotions, you're able to resolve your emotions instantly. Instead of getting dressed, entering a bus or entering your car, driving on the road and the agitation of 605, you begin to distribute it to everybody. Everybody's feeling your agitation. Everybody's feeling your tantrums. Everybody's feeling your aggression. You're just throwing yourself all over the place. No. Emotional intelligence is build a relationship with yourself first. And while doing so, it can help you build relationship with others. And for you to build a relationship with yourself, two things must happen. You must learn self-awareness, which is how in tune you are with your emotions. You must be conscious. I feel this way now. And this is what I will do with this emotion. As you are being self-aware, you must also manage yourself. Your ability to regulate your emotional state. It means that if I feel positive, I must manage it. Why do I need to manage it? When I come on a call like this, or when I go to my office, or when I'm in the car, or when I'm in a bus, or when I'm in my neighbors, I may feel highly spirited, but the people around me may not feel highly spirited. I would not now demand that they feel highly spirited because I feel highly spirited. That is witchcraft. The moment you feel a particular way and you insist that other people must feel the way you feel, by all means, that is witchcraft. Because that word, live and let live, is an emotional intelligence quote. It says that as you are feeling your emotion, recognize that other people have their own emotions that may not be in tandem with your emotions. And you must recognize that. That is where social awareness comes in. How in tune are you with other people's emotions? So that as you are being in tune with your emotions, and you're being in tune with other people's emotions, it can improve your relationship management, which is your ability to navigate emotions in interactions with other people. So in summary, what does this mean? It is important to track your emotions, number one. It's important to track your emotions. Be constantly aware what's happening with you. That's number one. So I'm writing a list now. Let's, let's write it like a list of summaries of what does this entire training mean? Number one, track your emotions. By tracking your emotions, I mean you're constantly aware 
how you're feeling part-time as it is happening. There are people that are difficult. Track your emotions when you're with difficult people. There are situations that are tough. Track your emotions when you're in a situation that is tough. But by all means, always track your emotions. It's very important to track your emotions. Number two, identify the roots or trigger of that emotion. Identify the root or trigger of that emotion. And this does not necessarily mean bad emotions. Even when you are happy, you must know why. Because sometimes you are happy about evil. I have found a very, very bad habit with some Christians, some Christians, when something negative happens to, a, in quote, an unbeliever, we say, you see, we told you to accept Christ, you refuse. God don't catch you. That is not the spirit of God. So sometimes the fact that you are feeling positive may not mean it is rooted in something positive. You need to identify the root or trigger of that emotion so that you can, you can test that emotion. When you celebrate someone else's fall or someone else's failure, because they are not in our fold, because they are not part of us, I do not believe that is the spirit of God. So it's not every positive emotion that is from God. Because the trigger may be something you should feel remorseful for, something you should feel pain for, something you should feel anger for. Then number three, use the knowledge for empowering purpose. Use the knowledge for empowering purpose. So when you know the trigger and is a positive trigger, you now use that. That is where the Bible will say, we overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the words of our testimony. It means that I feel good. The root of my feeling good is that I just had a breakthrough. God has empowered me to have a breakthrough. Then you come and share the story. That is where testimonials come from. That is where testimonies come from. That is where positive feedback comes from. Oh, I was this. Now I am this. Oh, I was blind. Now I can see. Oh, you know, God just helped me. I'm happy. Oh, God just gave me breakthrough. Oh, God just allowed me to get a visa to relocate. Oh, that is good use of positive emotion. But when you identify the root or trigger of your emotion and it's a bad root or bad trigger, or if the emotion is a bad emotion, like you feel broken, you feel disappointed, you feel um, you know, betrayed, you feel, then you want to ask yourself, how can I convert this to good use for an empowering purpose? And the way to convert a negative emotion for empowering purpose is to ask yourself, what can I learn from this? How did I contribute to this? How can I ensure it does not happen again? That's how to convert a negative experience to good use. Because we would always come in touch with negative or unwanted feelings. Because that is what life constitutes of. So we need to understand that if you can practice these three steps, it will go a long way to help you with your emotional intelligence journey. Now, let me answer um, Miriam's question. 
How do you differentiate when someone is putting up a boundary to protect their emotions and being numb? Good question. The first question, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, am I feeling the emotion or not? Because feeling being numb means that you are struggling to actually identify the emotion. That means you are numb. Numbness means I don't feel it. People are excited about something. You're wondering, I can't feel it. You're not pretending. You're, it's not like I'm feeling it, but I want to put up a facade like I just capone, just the form, say nothing they happen. No, you actually cannot feel it. You know, you see, you see a situation where someone is in pain, someone is in gross distress. You can't, you can't feel it. You're, you're not able to feel the emotion for that moment, for that particular scenario. That's numbness. But putting up a boundary is, let me give you a very simple example about boundaries. A male and a female meet, they like each other, they can sense a likeness. They can sense that I, I feel drawn to this man or this guy or this lady. They feel it. Then they tell themselves, remember, I'm now using the three points I shared. Tracking my emotions, I like this lady. She's such a beautiful lady. I like her, her energy. I think I'm going to like to be her friend. I'm tracking my emotions. The root of it is, I, I, I think, you know, I, I could build a friendship with this person, a relationship with this person. Number three says, use the knowledge for empowering purpose. Boundary in this case now means, in as much as I want to be, be a friend to this lady, I need to be conscious of the consequences of the chemistry that I'm feeling so that I know the areas that should be no-go areas for my good and his good or her good. That is boundary. But numbness, numbness is, I just know there's something about this lady, but I'm not able to place it. Or there's just something about this guy. I know that there's an attention I'm getting or I'm giving this person, but I'm not able to particularly tell how I feel about this person. That's numbness. You are numb because you are not able to articulate the emotion. But boundaries means I know the emotion, I can track the emotion, and I'm deciding. Remember, boundaries come from decisions. Boundaries don't create themselves. Boundaries don't just happen by themselves. It comes from a decision, either a proactive decision or a consequential decision. What do I mean by consequential decision? When something don't happen, we don't burn your fingers. Boundaries will find its way in that relationship. That's consequential. But proactive means that before anything even goes wrong, I already know that this and this and this should not happen. That's proactive boundaries. So boundaries come from decisions. But you, before you to make a decision to create a boundary, it means that you identify the emotions that are at play and you identify what can happen because of those emotions. So that's the difference between creating a boundary and being numb. I do not know if my time is up, but I want to take us through one activity for the purpose of 
so that I can tell if you understood all that I have said so far. Fantastic. So let's take an activity. I want everybody here, and you're going to do that for me in the chat room. You're going to tell me when we started this call, I do not know when you joined you know, the call. I joined the call exactly six o'clock before my network threw me out. And when I joined the call, how I felt at 6 a.m. So 6 a.m., how I felt. The first person I noticed when I joined the call was, let me look for her name. I saw some, I saw Tolu Lopez's um, profile picture. And then I'm trying to find the lady who was praying. Those were the two people I first noticed. I sensed an excitement in me. So at 6 a.m., I felt an excitement. Then at 6.20, when my network threw me out and my laptop was trying to reconnect and it was failing, I felt a bit of anxiety. Anxiety. Because I had a feeling that I was going to be called around that time to start teaching. So I felt a bit of anxiety considering that I had missed yesterday's appointment. Then when my network reconnected, just around the time Buki sent me a message and my network reconnected, which was around 6.24 a.m., I sensed, is a, of course, a sense of relief. Right now, it is 7.09 by my time here, and I'm feeling a sense of fulfillment. A sense of fulfillment, and I can also call that joy. So this is me tracking tracking my emotions now let me let me tell you the implication of this if i received a distress call at 6:20 a.m. let's assume that my one of my daughters had a crisis let's assume that my dogs just started barking violently let's assume that i i saw a message on my phone from my parents that was a distress message at 6.20. Remember at 6.20, I was already anxious. My reaction to that distress call at 6.20 would be different from if I received the same distress call at 7.09. Because at 7.09, I'm in a state of fulfillment and joy. My response to distress when I'm in a state of joy would differ from my response to distress when I'm in a state of anxiety. That is why tracking your emotion is non-negotiable because you may not know that, that your reaction is tied to the state you were because you'll be thinking that he made me angry. Didn't you hear what he said? She made me angry. Don't you see the way she looked at me? I greeted her. She didn't want to answer. It may not be the way the person answered. It may not be the way the person looked at you. It may not be the way the person said what and the person did what. It may not have anything to do with an external entity. It may just be your state at that time. So we're going to do this activity. I want you to take note of three time blocks. Time blocks. Number one, when you joined this call, whatever the time was, 
what do you think you were feeling? I want you to write it for me in the chat room. I want you to remember when you joined this call this morning, what were you feeling? Were you feeling, okay, Mary Asante says expectant, fantastic. What were you feeling when you joined the call? I want to see it in the chat room. Expectant, okay. Tired, Morenike says tired. O'Shea, who else? Please share. Busayo says excited. Fantastic, who else? Okay, somebody needs to mute his or her mic, please. Thank you. Who else? Sleepy, Tolulope says sleepy. Muna says curious. Pecula said, I joined at 5.18. What? 5.18. Sleepy. Sharon says, calm. T. Olukoga says, hopeful. Oluani Femi. Oba Femi. Yeah, my son himself. Sad. Oh, my darling. Sorry. Zainaba Jigs felt overwhelmed. Allow me. Sleepy. Expectant. Disturbed. Calm. Uh, Lola felt anxious because she was late. Tade Nikao had joined weary and disturbed. Ose, tired from last night before, but relieved to be on the call. Ajibola felt tired. So that was when you joined the call. That was when you joined the call. Now, let's stop, let's stop at that point. The next block I want you to tell me. So I'm going to write stop here so that I can break the responses. So from where I have entered my comment, we're not recognizing what you felt when you joined the call. The next block of time I want us to ex exercise is the moment you heard my voice when I started teaching. If you can remember what was the feeling that was present for you, what was that feeling? At that point when I started teaching, if you can remember, I want you to go back to it. Mary Asante said, surprised, really? <laughs> surprised, why? Oh, wow. Christine, surprised, really? That's interesting. Okay. Curious, excited, hopeful, calm, expectant, excited, curious, relieved, alert, and analytical. Hopeful, curious, wow. Okay, keep it coming. Fantastic, fantastic, indifferent, nice, nice, nice. Okay, okay, who else? Who else? I don't know the name of the feeling, but something like what's he going to share today? So let's say curious. I felt I have missed so much. Okay, excited, excited, interesting. The topic is so timely, hence my excitement. Okay, I felt curious. I joined in the middle of the call. Okay, so I'm going to also write another stop here. That is for that block of when I started teaching. Right now, right now, right now, by my time is 7.14, going to 7.15, right now,
It's my network with you know, we know. So, how do you feel right now? Let me go back to the chat room. Educated, I want more. Okay. I want to keep it coming. How do you feel right now? Empowered, aware, relieved, enlightened, relaxed, enlightened, empowered, fantastic, fantastic. Let, give me a second. I want to pick something I want to show you guys. Let me grab a bottle of water. I want to show you guys something. Okay, so I can see you're still pouring in your messages. So we're going to do something like this. I want to use this bottle of water and this little water I just fetched from my dispenser here. I'm going to use it to describe what we have just done. But you're going to write for me something like this. You know, we have identified three emotions. Bosayo says, I don't know what this emotion is called, but I'm trying to identify where in my life there has been a lack of emotional. So you are reflective. I think we can call it reflective or retrospective. So I think that's what we can call it. So we have identified three emotions so far. When you joined the call, when I started sharing on the call, and right now. So you're going to do something for me. You're going to write your first emotion, dash, second emotion, dash, third emotion. Put it like that in one statement, very straight to the point. What you called your first emotion, put a dash, write your second emotion, put a dash, write your third emotion, straight to the point. Let's write that for me and let's see what you, well, let's see the tr transition of your emotions quickly. Everyone, let's do it. Let's see. So Mary, expectant, moved to surprised, moved to empowered. Iswat, tired, moved to hopeful, moved to reflective. Deola, tired, moved to eager, moved to enlightened. Apostle, the expectant, moved to hopeful, moved to empowered. Um, wow, they are just pouring in. I'll, I'll just pick it randomly. Peculiar, sleepy, moved to hopeful, moved to... I want more. I don't know what to call it. I want more. <laughs> Hungry. <laughs> Christine Joda, relieved, moved to surprise, moved to enlightened. Oluani Femi, I'm interested in that one. Sad, moved to expectant, moved to relieved. I like that one. Sad, moved to expectant, moved to relieved. Sumbo, tired, moved to calm, moved to enlightened. Moreni Keji, exhaustion, moved to expectant, moved to guilty but educated. Zenaba Jigs, overwhelmed, indifferent, moved to relaxed and enlightened. Um, Benedict Ogenede, restless, moved to inquisitive, moved to empowered. So based on what you have seen, if I were to share with you what we call the list of emotions, these same time blocks that I gave you that you identified just three emotions, you may have felt 10 emotions. 
You may have felt 15 emotions. You may have felt three emotions. You, can, you may have felt 20 emotions in this same time block. It's just because I was asking you specific questions. That's why we just named them as they are. But it usually is more. And that's why this is where, where this comes in. So this is a bottle of water. This is a, a container. I brought a, an empty container. I went to the dispenser right here and I put a little water in it. This water is your emotion. This bottle is you. This is Tolu Lope. This is Oritoke. This is Ti Olukoga. This is Busayo. This is Benedict. This is Bukumi. This is Zena. This is Moreni Keji. This container is you. You are the container. The water inside is the emotion. Our emotions are like that, fluid, static, constantly moving, constantly vibrating. Everything you are thinking is creating a vibration. Everything you are thinking is creating a vibration. Oh, I hope I'm going to make money today. It creates a vibration. <clears throat> oh, I hope my neighbor will not start out their loud music. Today is Saturday. It creates a vibration. Oh, I hope that when I go, one conductor will not just uh, join me with somebody with my change. It creates a vibration. I hope that boyfriend guy will check on me this morning. No, it creates a vibration. I hope my mother is going to get well today. It creates a vibration. I hope that I'm not going to lose my phone. It creates a vibration. Oh, my skin, my phone screen guard is cracked. I need to change it. It creates a vibration. For every thought, a vibration is created. For every thought, a vibration is created. And for every vibration, an emotion is at, at work. For every vibration, an emotion is at work. Guess what? Your brain is able to process seven concurrent thoughts at the same time. There's what we call the reticular activating system that allows the brain process seven thoughts at the same time. If one thought creates emotional vibrations, what will seven thoughts do? It will create a storm. So when you do this thing, some of you just say, oh, the devil is attacking me. Oh, I'm getting too emotional. Oh, no, it's not anything like that. It's your natural anatomy that is at work. And if you don't understand emotional intelligence, you become overwhelmed. You become like a time bomb. You become so erratic. You become so unpredictable. You become like a moving bomb. Everybody, they fear you because you are just everywhere. So if you don't track your emotions and know the root of the emotion, even you'll be wondering, I don't know why I'm like this. So I, don't, I didn't know when I got angry. I didn't know when I shouted at her. I didn't know when I hit him. I didn't know when I cursed him. I didn't know when I this. I didn't know when I that. Of course, you wouldn't know because you're not tracking and you're not knowing the root of the emotions. So, ladies and gentlemen, at this point, I'm going to encourage you, don't belittle your emotions. Don't pray away your emotions. I reject this emotion. I reject this emotion. I bind you in the name of Jesus. You can't bind your emotions, ma. You cannot bind, <laughs> you cannot bind your emotions, sir. 
God put it there for a purpose. You must learn to use your emotions. You must learn to master your emotions. You must learn to put it to good use. I beg of you, learn emotional intelligence and you become the better version of yourself every day. So as the Bible says, we're all looking up to Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, and we're aspiring to that perfection. You know, he says the righteous is always growing and growing and changing and changing onto the perfect day, however the scripture puts it. Lola, please ask your question. Please ask your question. So please, please, please. Oritoke says, I feel guilty because I sparked last night. No need to feel guilty. No need to feel guilty. Every emotion, ask yourself, how can I put it to a better use? There's no, guilt comes from a vibration. And the vibration means I should not have expressed this emotion. But that is your emotion. Emotions are autopilot. It's your thinking that creates your emotion. So while you're feeling guilty about an emotion, you're creating a new vibration. Instead of saying that emotion that I expressed, this is why I expressed it. Next time, I will do it this way. Resolved. So have a conversation with your emotions. Excuse me. Have a conversation with your emotions. When you have conversations with your emotions, you will act better. Very, very important. So I have a question in the chat room. Then I, I see Sumba is raising her hand. I'm coming to you. Um, Lola says, what about feeling? Um, okay, so I have, have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have a question. It says, what about feeling jealous towards a particular person all the time? Um, somebody, somebody reached out to me. I've been and we've been praying about it. So jealousy is a good feeling. Yes, I said so. Because some of you, you have banished some emotions. Some of you have banished some emotions. Let me ask you, is hatred, is hatred a good emotion or a bad emotion? Let me, let me ask you. Hatred, is hatred good or bad? Because we need to do some deliverance on some emotional understanding this morning. Hatred is good or bad? Is hatred good or bad? I want to see it in the chat room. Bad. Okay. Somebody says hatred is a bad thing. Um, is love, love good or bad? Is love good or bad? Is love good or bad? It can be both. It can be good. Hatred can be good. Hatred can be good or bad. Okay, it depends. Okay, feelings are not bad. It's what we make of them. Thank you. Hatred can be good. It depends on where it is put to use. Thank you. So some of you understand this. Okay, so some of the questions are pouring in plenty. Michael, hold your question so that I don't miss it. I need to go to Sumba first. I'll come back to you, but let me answer the present question. All emotions are neither good nor bad. No emotion is good. No emotion is bad. All emotions have their purpose. I talked about the five-year-old girl that was killed in Kano. If you do not hate the situation of that, that incidence, you need serious help. So in that context, what has happened needs to be hated. Because if we don't hate what has happened, we cannot fix that, that situation. If we don't hate robbery, 
robbery will never stop. If we don't hit um, um, stealing, stealing will never stop. If you don't hit something that is hurting people, if you don't hit something that is generally agreed to be wrong, you cannot fix that thing. So emotions by themselves are not bad. Why am I saying this? Because the question says, oh, I feel jealousy about, uh, how do you treat jealousy? Somebody feels jealous. Jealousy by itself is not bad. When I look at someone making progress and I, I, I have a desire to repli replicate and I have that prayerful, oh Lord, the way you have done this for this person, I tap into this blessing. And I want to learn how I can become this. By technical definition, that's positive jealousy. You are jealous for them, not against them. You are jealous for the experience because you want to be able to have it. It's, so when you hear things like an enviable personality, enviable, what does it mean? It means envy. I envy this thing. But most of us say envy is bad. No, envy is not bad. Jealousy is not bad. It is the application of it that is making it bad. So you need to, like, again, we talked about track your emotions. I feel jealous about this scenario. What is the root of it? It's not supposed to be him. It's supposed to be me. Uh -huh. Then there's problem. When you feel jealous and you feel that that person does not deserve, which is what many Christians do, in your eyes, the person is an unbeliever. He buy brand new car. In your eyes, I have served God all this while. My marriage is in crisis. This one that I know her journey of abortion, her marriage is happy. She married quick. I never marry. Everybody is saying, until when, until when. I don't marry now to born problem. The people wait on abort all their life, then they get children. So in your head, it should not be them enjoying. It should be me enjoying. That is wrong jealousy. So we need to understand these things so that we have a proper use of emotions. Jealousy by itself is not the problem. It is how you use the jealousy. When you And one of the ways to kill jealousy or to use jealousy positively, when you feel envious of someone's experience, so into their life, so into their experience, so a seed. I wish I have a brand new car like this man that in my head I think is an unbeliever. Go and buy brand new tire or give him, ask how much is to fill your tank for fuel. Give him that amount. I saw into your car. Please, please buy full tank of fuel with this money. I'm keen into your blessing. You will notice that that negative energy will take off. Very, very important step, I beg. So let me not overflog it. Um, Sumbo, you raised your hand earlier. Kindly. Okay, is that what you've now asked in the chat room? So let me know so that I can be clear. Where's Sumbo? Before I go to Michael. Okay. So I will ask Sumbo's questions first, question first, before I go to Michael, because Sumbo had raised her hand. So Sumbo's question says, please, sir, can I control my emotion before I display it? So 
The question here is, what is the problem with displaying your emotion? Amubalanle says, please help repeat your last statement. What was my last statement by? For me, I just did talk. What was my last statement? Please, who remembers my last statement? Me, I don't talk, I don't pass. So. You may have to rely on the replay, my darling. Mabino. But if somebody remembers my last statement, please put it in the chat room so that my sister can have it. Or is it my brother? I don't know now if he's male or female. So let me go back to the question. Sumbo says, how can I control my emotions? Can I control my emotions before I display it? So the question is, what's the problem you have with displaying the emotion? Um, the thing here is that emotions are autopilots. As you're thinking it, the emotion is happening already. And as the emotions are happening, the behavior is happening. So if you want to change your emotion or control your emotion, the way you have put it, you must control the thinking, the thought that goes into the emotion. And how do you control the thought that goes into the emotion? It's your beliefs. So as something is happening, your interpretation of anything informs your thoughts. As you're interpreting what's going on, oh, this thing is for my disadvantage. Your thought goes ahead and your feelings begin to show. Or this thing can be to my advantage. Your thought goes ahead, your feelings begin to show. So whether you can display your emotions or not is a function, again, of personality and experience. Some people are extroverted. Their emotions show. Whether they, No matter how they try to hide it, everything will show. If they're happy, you will know. If they're not happy, you will know. Some people are so good at masking it in the sense that they have grown capacity to be blank. I'm a therapist. Part of my job is to be expressionless. So when a, a patient comes to me and they're telling me the, gro the goriest of information, I can just be looking at you blank. You can't tell whether I'm excited, I'm sad, or I'm not happy. Sometimes some people come to me, they're trying to tell me a situation. They are counting on my emotion to tell them what to do. Maybe if I know, they'll say, he agrees, he's supporting me. If I do like this, they'll say, bless you, this guy, no, I agree. I will just be blank looking at you. So sometimes experience helps so that you can learn to contain your emotion, be expressionless, and choose your response. So these things take a lot of training. So to answer your question, it is possible, but it takes a lot of training. But again, like I said, why do you have to? Depends because it depends on the situation. You don't necessarily have to. So that's the way I look at it. Michael Adebi says, how do you handle being unnecessarily nervous around people? Well, it could be for several reasons. Number one, there are personalities that are like that. A typical example, there are cautious introverts. They are socially cautious. So when people are around them, they become nervous. But sometimes it can be trauma. Trauma in the sense that things happened to you when you were way younger or when you, when you were growing up that happened around people and it made you a bit more nervous, you know? Maybe it could be an accident, could be some form of abuse or molestation, could be someone that was traumatized while you were there. It could be some noisy, maybe for instance, you were at a party sometime and then a riot happened or a fight. So anything, it could be anything. So you need to trace back. When was the first time I noticed this nervousness around people? What kind of people am I nervous around? Because it may not be everybody. 
So it's possible you are nervous around talkatives. For me, for instance, I'm nervous around people that make phone calls. I don't like phone calls. So when people are making calls around me, once the call don't they reach two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, I'm wondering what is it now? So I'm already edgy. I like to just stay away from people making phone calls because it just makes me feel edgy. So it's possible. So you need to know what are the kind of people, what kind of scenarios, because is it every kind of everybody or is it some people or in some context or in some places or at some times? So you need to track those moments to be able to see a pattern, then you can now respond to the pattern. Afolabi Modupeola says, how do you learn to feel if you have been numb for a long time? Simple, just be a student of emotions. I've told you, go to, the, go to Google, type list of emotions, look at the list, you will see happy. Close your eyes. What will make me feel happy? I think if I eat pizza, I'll be happy. So imagine you're in a pizza spot asking for pizza. You just notice that you're smiling. You say, shake Osisha, more all right. You now go to the next emotion. Sadness. What does it mean to feel sad? You remember an incident where you felt so you need to practice. Practice. Just sit, put the list in front of you. Recreate emotions by yourself. You can do it. That is what actors do. Everybody acting on TV. What do they do? They create moments. It's the same thing. You can create moments. So if I want to feel excited right now, I know what to do. Shut your eyes. Think of situations that can excite you. Your emotions will follow. It's automatic. So practice it. Get used to it. You just realize that over time, you are, your body takes capacity. It's just like a nerve. You are building the nerve. The nerve begins to grow and then becomes autopilot. So it's possible. Busayo Obafemi, what you do with this feeling is the issue. Yes. Um, thank you. This is a Kairos moment right now. O'Shea, thank you. I found that praying for them when I feel jealous works. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I have a question. So what do you do when other people project their emotions on you? When they project their emotions on you, it's not you. You say, well, I recognize this emotion. Hello, this is not me. Take care of you. Take care of you. No need to take offense. So that's very, very important. And this will happen a lot. People will say, you are so, 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 so person. Yeah, I get that a lot. People, people know me more than I know myself. You are this, you are that, you are this one, you are that one. I say, oh, hello. Nice to meet you. Are you talking about me? I don't recognize that. Take care of yourself. Goodbye. I dismiss the emotion. If I know I'm not the one, there's no need to fight now. If I know that the emotion they're talking about or whatever they think about me is true, I'll ask myself, this true, is it positive true or negative true? If it's positive true, glory to God. I thank you, Jesus, for this testimonial about me. I'm, I feel so good about it. If it is a bad true, I'll say, yeah, I recognize that. I know I'm dealing with that. It's an issue. I'm still growing, work in progress. Lord, help me, Holy Spirit, empower me. Boom. Solution, move to the next point. There's no need dwelling on things. So when they project on you, if it is not true, move on. If it is true and is positive, embrace it. Thank God. If it's true and is negative, pray, Lord, teach me, help me, empower me. Move on. 
Case closed. No need, go need, go need at all. So I hope, I, I hope that helps you. Um, how do you control the physical manifestation of some emotions? For instance, trembling, sometimes vigorously, when angry or intensely irritated, is distressing because it gets in the way of being productive in that moment. Very, very true. So when you know that your emotions get the better of you, we call it emotional hijack. This scenario you just painted is emotional hijack. So you want to ask yourself, you want to think about your behavior. We, so we do this, so we call meta programming. Meta programming means step out of yourself and look at yourself and say, so let's assume I'm talking about myself now. When I get emotional, let's say I start vibrating, I'm angry, I'm screaming, I'm dramatic. Meta programming says, come out of me and I'll look at Sam Obafemi vibrating and I'll now say, so looking at Sam Obafemi, do I like what I see? No, this is not a pretty Sam. What must Sam do next time? So next time, when Sam feels this way, Sam is going to start playing music, leave the situation, process the situation, rehearse what he wants to say. If I know that talking is going to put me in this state, I'm going to write what I want to say so that I don't have to say it and start vibrating. If I cannot write and communicate with this person, can I send a voice note? Can I send a third party? So you have to process your alternatives not insist that it has to be you doing it the way you are doing it. If a particular way disempowers you, find alternative ways that do not empower you. Because ultimately, you just want to be okay. You want to be fine. You want to be able to get yourself in the right state. That's what matters. So don't judge yourself. Don't say, you know, I'm not strong. I'm weak. I, I'm not good. When I get angry, I'm not good. Though. Don't let me get angry. Auntie, we cannot not make you get angry. It's not our problem. It's not us making you angry. It's you that wants to get angry. But when a situation puts you in that state, you want to practice how to find alternative ways of establishing the same outcomes. Very, very helpful. So I hope that helps. Um, jealousy is not bad. Uh, Busayo, I think you talked about what you do with that emotion you feel rather than feel negatively about it. So into the life of the person you see. Oh, I recall. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Peculiar says, sir, what, what do I do when I'm at the receiving end? When you are at the receiving end of any negative emotion, you want to ask yourself, how does this make me feel? How does this make me feel? Does it make me feel inferior? Does it make me feel pained? Does it make me feel useless? Does it make me feel wounded? Does it make me feel used? Does it make me feel like a dumping ground? You want to ask yourself, how does it make me feel? Remember our three steps. Track the emotion. Determine the root of the emotion and make the emotion empowering. So number one, how does it make me feel? That's tracking the emotion. What's the root of that emotion? This person is dumping on me. This person is projecting on me. I am on the receiving end of this person's anger and this person's curse and this person's talk. What do I want to do about it? I want to be able to assert myself. So I want to tell this person, it happened with me just two days ago. One fellow had an appointment. He wanted me to be part of a platform. He had said it was going to hold at 1 p.m., it did not start until around 2 p.m. No, it wasn't meant to start by 1. It was meant to start by 11 a.m. As at 12 noon, event had not started. 
I had another appointment at 1 p.m. I needed to leave where the event was holding at 12.30. When it was 12.04 or something, I told him at 12.30, I may have to leave because I have another appointment. And he goes, you can't leave. I told you the event is 11 o'clock. You cannot just have an appointment at one o'clock. It's not right. It's not this. And I told him, oh, thank you for your feedback. But you can't say that to me because it's not my fault. Your event is starting more than one hour late. So I have to go on for my next appointment. I'm sorry. When it's 12.30, I will leave. I have given you notice. I don't need you to approve my, my leaving. It's not in my place for you to approve that I should go to my next appointment. It's beyond you. So you must assert yourself. You cannot, remember when I talked about self-preservation, people preservation? Self-preservation comes first. You must protect yourself first. If not, there's no emotional intelligence to give. Let me say this. You must be as selfish as you are selfless. Your selfishness and your selflessness quotient must be equal. I'll say one last time. Your selfishness and your selflessness quotient must be equal. I'll say it one other time. Your selfishness and your selflessness quotient must be equal. What does that mean? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what the Bible says. So the way I love myself, selfish, is the way I will love you, selfless. I cannot love you more than I love myself. And I will not love myself more than I love you. That's what the Bible stipulates. When I love myself more than I love you, that's self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is me loving myself more than I love you. When I love you more than I love myself, that is self-esteem problem. When I love you more than I love myself, is a self-esteem problem. I have inferiority complex. So no time should you do something to your detriment because, you know, I don't want them to say I'm not a Christian. I don't want them to say I don't have, I don't love God. Let them not say, ah, ah, this sister, she can call God, call Jesus, and she's not even willing to sacrifice. If it is hurting you and you are the one dying, you are not being godly, auntie. You cannot love more than you love yourself. So I hope that helps. I see a lot of comments. I hope I can finish this. We need to finish at eight o'clock. How do you deal with numbness? I think I've answered that question. So I can move on to the next statement. It's how you broke it down. The key is just to move on. Okay. Thank you for so enlightening. Okay. So I think I have satisfactorily attended to all the comments in the chat room. Okay. How can a wife assert herself with her husband who is projecting cranky emotions from, say, financial hardships on her without coming across as rude. Now, this is a very unique situation. Your whole, of course, every man, if he's broke, well, not every man, so I don't generalize, but men, largely, when we don't have money, there's just this part of us that is, no matter how we try to be nice, we're on the edge. <laughs> Make something no happen, no, make my picking no sicko, make my car no spoil, make my wife no ask me for money. So we're always on the edge, like hmm, hmm. Let when let something not come, oh, let something not come. Oh. So we're always on the edge because not because we are angry that there's no money, but because we don't want to feel embarrassed, we don't want to feel incapable, we don't want to feel unable, we don't want to feel like. Now there's a need and we don't, we can't take care of our families. 
So you need to recognize that when your husband is agitated, take a step back, which is, which is one thing many women need to learn. Constantly swatch your husband. That is not when to be his mother. That is not when to be his coach. That is not when to start being an advisor and counselor. Men don't like that. Many men don't like that. When we are under pressure, that is not when we need your, I told you, you should have done this. Why don't you try this? I think you should call this person. I think you should take a chill pill. Calm down. Your role at that time is how can I support this guy without saying it? How can I contribute to his state of confidence? Because at that time, let me tell you something. The man is not, his, his agitation is not from a place of no money. Mm -mm. His agitation is coming from a place of, would this rob me of my respect and ego and, and confidence? Now that I don't have, how will she treat me? How will, how will things play out? So what you are contending with is not the absence of money. What you are contending with is his emotions around respect, um, confidence, comfort. So that's all you should be feeling. That is when you should say, my king, when things happen like this, I normally see you in another element. Ah, when you don't get money, at that time I may see you as guy. You just did on point. Something like that, such that he's wondering, what is this woman saying? He will leave you in his head. He can be forming. Oh, you are whining me, Joe. I beg, I beg. I don't want this noise. When he leaves you, he's wondering, wow. Hey, hey. This money must come out today. You have, you have injected an energy. Eh? That money will come out. But I find that many ladies, that's when they'll be stressing. You know, please, so I'm not, I'm not putting pressure. It's just that I, I don't know who else to go to. You're my husband. You know, please, we need money for food. Now, see, baby's crying. There's no money. That's when you're suggesting. That's when you're coaching. That's when you're counseling. That's when you're advising. Some hey, I mean, you have me back. I'm back. So, can you hear me? Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being patient and for waiting for me. So, I guess I pretty much done main justice to the topic today. And I was just answering the last question about husband uh, reaction. And I think that that's basically you. I would I would strongly recommend that you understand. Try to. So let me say this, and I hope I'm able to communicate this properly. As a female, it's a good thing for you to learn how guys behave. Um, God has given us everything. The Bible says that everything you need to live and to function has been given. The Holy Spirit is meant to come and remind you. Remember, that is what the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit is meant to come and remind us of the things we have learned. That's the primary assignment of the Holy Spirit. If you go back to the first time the Holy Spirit was mentioned by Christ, when he was talking about his going, he said, it's expedient for me to go. 
Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. He will come and remind you of things. So, but if there is nothing you have learned, what will the Holy Spirit remind you of? So you need to learn things. As a female, learn about men. You're not learning because you like men. Because I think that sometimes when it looks like you're studying how men think and behave, it could be like, say, you too like man. You're supposed to focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Why are you studying men? You're studying men because you, you like sex. No. All these stereotypes, please drop it. Learn about men. For men, learn about women. When I was in, you know, I'm grateful how God has guided my life because sometimes it's a miracle. When I was in secondary school, I read every woman. I read three different editions of every woman. I read two different editions of where there is no doctor. I read it as though I was preparing for exam. When I wrote biology, it came handy. But then I was like, ah, see you. When I was reading this thing, I didn't even know that it would come and find usefulness. I, I thought that it was useful for my biology exam. But today, to a very large extent, I understand the mind of the woman. I understand her body. I understand her psychology. And I'm able to literally respond at the level if I want to. So that has given me an edge in my relationships. The same way I'm studying personality, I'm constantly studying personalities and seeing, okay, this person behaves like this kind of personality because, because I know these things. I'm able to manage people and manage their dynamics. So I want to beg you, don't just be fixated on let the person know me. Let the person know me. My husband should know me. My husband should understand me. My husband should learn how I want things done. Because I find that as some limiting belief, many Nigerian women should do better. Just like many Nigerian men should do better. We should learn about the opposite gender. Not because we will, we will marry them. Mm -mm. This life does not end in marriage. It's not that once I marry, every other thing will be fine. Mm -mm. Study the opposite gender because you will do business with them. You will relate with them in the office. See, let me shock you. You will get married and still find another person attractive. How do you manage that? How do you manage pressure from someone that likes you? In this age and time when homosexuality and transgender is all over the place, how do you manage your gender liking you? If you don't understand these dynamics, you will not know how your feelings are being impeded on. You will not know how your feelings are being harassed. You just feel that, oh, the devil is attacking me. The devil is attacking me. The devil will use your ignorance to attack you. Because the devil takes advantage of the fact that he does not know this thing. She does not know this thing and presents it to you. And then you are, you are, you are not sure what to do. Then you now start hearing voices from everywhere. It now looks like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So I beg you, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that does not need to be embarrassed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to learn. Be a student of life. Very, very important. Shemikpe says, can emotions impact attachment styles or vice versa? If I understand your meaning of attachment, you mean attachment to people. 
if that's what you mean, emotions don't impact attachment styles. It's attachment styles that, de that determine emotions. So the attachments you place on people or things will determine the emotion that drives it. So when you feel like, I don't want to lose this person, I don't want to lose this person, you become obsessed, you become passionate, you become possessive, you become toxic, codependency. So it's attachment that triggers emotions. It's not emotions that trigger attachment, it's the other way around. So I hope that answers your question. So I, 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 feel, I feel that there's a lot of work we all have to do. I feel that Christianity has been misrepresented. I'm a Bible-believing child of God. I believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe in salvation, that that's the only way we can go to heaven. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that anyone that believes and confesses that Christ died for them and, you know, is the, is the source of their salvation, that they will go to heaven. But I have a lot of issues with how Christianity operates. I have a lot of issues how we misrepresent the Holy Spirit. We have functional character issues, and we lump it on the Holy Spirit. We say, God told me this. God told me that. And the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said that. We are not paying attention to our character flaws. We are not paying attention to our gaps. We are not paying attention to our behavioral gaps. We are not paying attention to our ignorance. We are not reading enough. We're not studying enough. We're not befriending people enough to know more people. We're not learning cultures. We're not traveling enough. We're not, we're not open to learning enough. We just sit in our houses. All you do is your house, your office, your church. Your house, your office, your church. And you want to know the world like that. It does not work like that. There is nobody God used that was, that was a narrow person. Go back to the beginning. When, if you remember, Abraham, our father Abraham was like Elon Musk. He was the richest man in the world. Noah, Noah was the most respected man in the world. Moses, Moses was the most, he was in the highest of hierarchy in the army. Go on, these things are in the scripture. They are theological knowledge, common knowledge. I'm not saying secrets. Moses was the highest, he was in the highest ranking of the military. He was well knowledgeable. Joshua was well resourceful. Caleb and Joshua, well resourceful. The men that God used, um, I can't remember their name now, those guys that were highly skilled. God said they were the most skilled men in the world that, that David used to build the, the uh, Solomon used to build the temple. Solomon was the wisest man. So don't just sit in your limitation and think that the Holy Spirit has to come to your bedroom to whisper something to you. The Holy Spirit functions bigger than that. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Why are, you, why are you separating yourself from the resources God has provided because you think that God is not there? Is there where God is not? So I need us to really school ourselves all over again because it's affecting our ability to be, to be emotionally intelligent. We have boxed ourselves in a manner that has ostracized us from the world. The same world we want to reach, we remove ourselves from the world and expect them to come to us. It does not work like that. The Jews, and I'm talking about the apostles, they had to go 
into the Gentile world to reach the Gentiles. They did not stay in the Jew cycle and say, Gentiles, come to us, come to us. No, they had to, that is evangelism now, spreading the gospel. They had to go out. So going out here may not necessarily mean leaving Lagos and going to another place. It means your cycle. You need to spread your cycle. So today, I, by the grace of God, in my, in my industry and sector, I'm doing very well. And people cannot mistake the fact that I'm a Christian. I don't even, I'm not ashamed to quote scripture in any training, whether it's corporate training or not corporate training. The thing just comes to my mouth. I just say it. I quote Bible. Sometimes I'll just say, the Bible says, or I'll say the whole, in the holy books, it says this, this, and this is what it means. So sometimes even me, I try to question myself, this is nowhere to preach, but I'm not preaching. I tie things up, scripture and secular, scripture and, and common knowledge. Why am I saying all this? We need to step up our lifestyle as Christians. There is a lot that is happening that is grieving the Holy Spirit. And God expects more from us. God is saying, when I know they try. We know they try. Like, we are just brandishing his name everywhere, dropping it, dropping it, dropping it. God said, God said, God said. Is, did he really say? Or is it you that just sits in your domain and thinks that, I think this is what God is telling me. So we need to learn. We need to unlearn. We need to relearn. We need to, we need to improve. And God himself will teach us how to do it. Thank you for having me today. I'm, just, I'm really sorry about the network issues. And if I'm taking longer than necessary, I also do apologize. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to share today. My name is Sam Obafemi. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information on our other ministry expressions, discipleship programs, and resources, visit hope365network.org